welcome to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. With the world rapidly switching to electrification to meet decarbonisation targets, it's an exciting time for companies developing new, safer, and more efficient battery technologies. LIS Energy is a listed Australian company at the forefront of battery cell innovation through its collaboration with scientists at Deakin University. Last year was a big year for LIS Energy with the successful scaling up of their pouch cells from 10 to 20 layers and the fit-out commencement for their Phase 3 facility, which will house potentially the largest dry room in Australia. LIS Energy's CEO is Dr Lee Finier, and he joins me now. G'day, Lee. Welcome to the program. G'day, and thanks for having me on board here. Lee, you have a PhD in artificial intelligence and vast experience in tech startups. What led you into the world of battery tech and LIS energy? Well, for, for me, it's always, all my career has been about making a real difference from a technology standpoint. Uh, my work in communications and location-based services um, made lives a lot easier and more productive. But when the opportunity with LIS Energy came up, it's really a, a global opportunity to accelerate us towards a clean energy future. Um, that's just an incredible opportunity to make a massive difference on the global stage. And that's what LIS Energy is. I mentioned um, there about artificial intelligence. No doubt you would have seen the news about chat GPT. Have you had a chance to jump on that yet? And what are your thoughts? I certainly have, and it is absolutely remarkable. Uh, it was a real, a real globe-changing movement for me when I when I actually got onto it and realised its capabilities. Uh, I have to say, uh, I wasn't expecting to see that in my lifetime, and it's it's really going to change the world. So the name LIS Energy for those of us without a chemistry background, what does what does that what does that mean? How did you come up with the name, Lee? Well, it's it's not the, um, the the reason that people might think that it's my first name begins with L. But uh, <laughs> when we first started the company, it was based on having found a new way to make a, a lithium sulfur battery. A lithium sulfur battery is is uh, got an extremely high energy density compared with current lithium ion, and we managed to build one that had a very long cycle life, and that's why we called the company LIS Energy for lithium sulfur. But since then, we've discovered that our unique nanomaterials that we use can also protect and extend the life of other lithium metal-based batteries. So we've got a much larger market opportunity using both of these cell technologies. So I guess our name only reflects part of our story now. So we hear a lot, Lee, in the news about lithium-ion batteries. They're used in electric vehicles, electric scooters, and whatnot. So what, what are the benefits then of lithium-sulfur batteries? The main benefit is that a lithium-sulfur battery can, can store far more energy per kilogram of battery, um, more than twice that of a lithium-ion battery. Okay. And what makes that really important is when we're trying to extend the capability of electric vehicles in particular, if we want to move into drones with a very long um, uh, flight time, if we want to move into electric aircraft and get rid of all that aviation fuel, and even in, in lithium 
iron-powered electric vehicles are currently limited at the moment by the um, by the range. That they the range. Have. What is it? You can only get like 400 k's, 500 yeah. k's, maybe. Well, yeah. well, we're looking at the potential for a lithium sulfur battery to deliver over a thousand k's between charges, and that means you'd need to charge your car less often than you would normally go to a filling station with your petrol car. Mm. Um, mm. On, on top of that, lithium sulfur has the potential to be safer because it is less prone to thermal runaway um, and its materials are cheaper. We don't need to have nickel, cobalt, manganese. Cobalt in particular is a very difficult uh, element to get. Most of it's in the Congo. So the, uh, the, the benefits of lithium sulfur are substantial. I could, I could drive from Sydney to the Gold Coast without a stop and come and see you on, on, one, <laughs> on, on one charge. Absolutely. So if these batteries have uh, the benefits that you've just mentioned, um, why is it that they're not being more widely used or used in electric vehicles, including um, even, even the e-bikes, the e-scooters e that you see on the streets? Well, I guess that's why LIS Energy is here. Um, exactly. Until now, lithium sulfur and lithium metal batteries haven't reached the mass market, and that's because they store so much energy that they have historically tended to have a very poor cycle life. In other words, a very, the number of charges and discharges you can you can actually get before the battery degrades to a point you have to replace it. So right. after okay. a few charges and discharges, that's pretty much has been pretty much the end of those chemistries. But what we found with our new nanomaterials um, that we've developed is that we can protect the, the construction and the chemistry within the battery to massively extend that cycle life. So it's making lithium sulfur and lithium metal batteries, you know, commercially viable for the first time. How big are the batteries? Well, they can be any size you want. I mean, typically a cell would be between well, in terms of physical size, a little pouch cell, maybe 100 millimeters by 60 millimeters. But mm. just like in other other applications with lithium ion pouch cells, you chain them together in, into groups in series and parallel, and that's what creates your battery pack. So without giving too much of your IP away, can you explain for... Uh, the punters out there like me, for the non-chemical engineers, what boron nitrate nanotubes and nanocomposite LI nanomesh is. That's a mouthful. It certainly is. It took me a while to get my head around that one as well. Boron nitride nanotubes. Um, best way to describe them is, is that they're tiny tubes made up of boron and nitrine, nit nitrogen atoms. Um, Many of the listeners you've got will have heard of carbon nanotubes. Uh, BNNTs are essentially the same, except we replace the carbon atoms with boron and nitrogen atoms. And, and those are uh, in a hexagonal structure in the same way as carbon. Now, what makes BNNTs special? We call them BNNTs because of that mouthful of, of its name. <laughs> I'm glad you do. It's the... Uh, NASA described BNNTs as a wonder material that would help get humans to Mars. And, and the reason for that is they're over a thousand times stronger than steel. They're seven times more thermally conductive than copper. And they can also absorb neutron radiation, which is obviously a problem for space travel. For us, they do a, a number of remarkable things inside the, the, the battery chemistry and inside the battery uh, mechanical construction. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Now, until recently, they cost over a million dollars a kilogram to produce. But working with our partner company, BNNT Technologies Limited, uh, that's also a spin out of Deakin University. We were able to manufacture BNNTs at a very small fraction of this cost, making them commercially viable for including in a battery. Now, as far as our LI nanomesh nanocomposite, um, that's definitely secret source. We can't tell you what it's made of, but it does help prevent dendrite formation in batteries. Now, dendrite, so these little metal spikes that can form in a battery, uh, which is a key cause of short circuits and early failure. In terms of this sector, Lee, what does the competitive landscape look like? Obviously, there's LIS Energy, but um, paint us a picture, if you would, of what other companies are out there doing the same or, or similar sorts of things. Are there one or two companies out there trying to get the hang of lithium sulfur batteries? Um, in the broader landscape, uh, the main challenges are lithium iron battery manufacturers adding a little bit more silicon into their graphite anode that that pushes up the energy density a little bit but the benefit we have is lithium iron is reaching its maximum potential energy density it, re it genuinely can't move to double what it is now and, and that's just a, a function of the chemistry and physics of, of the of the um, stru structure of lithium iron um, so, so no matter how much lithium ion tries to catch up, they're not going to catch up with our chemistry. Um, there are other um, companies trying to build solid state technologies in, in lithium batteries. Um, we're also moving to what we call a quasi solid state uh, lithium sulfur battery. Um, and that's just to reduce the amount of electrolyte in, in the battery and to reduce the flammability of the battery for, for safety reasons as well. So if we use that example I said before of, say, a, a journey of Sydney to the Gold Coast, roughly what, for what it is, a thousand k's. If you're in an electric vehicle at the moment, you'd have to charge and every 400 k's, you know, that takes half an hour, 40 minutes to charge, for example. Are you saying that those that the current technology in electric vehicles is, is, at, its, is at its point where it, it probably can't get much better? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, it will incrementally increase, um, but not it's not a revolutionary step change by any means. And and what we'll see is people try and pack more more batteries into cars. Um, but but there is a limit at which um, car manufacturers are prepared to go because those batteries get a lot more expensive, and it it, it makes the car unaffordable. And also the charging time. Like if you go into the servo and you fill up, you're in and out in five minutes. Whereas with an electric vehicle, sometimes you could be waiting for, well, you tell me, half an hour, 40 minutes, maybe longer to, to get the full, uh, the maximum charge. Uh, absolutely. And then on top of that, um, you may not have a free charging point. You may be waiting 40 minutes for the last person to get off. Yeah. So how is that developing? How is that, um, the current technology rolling out? Are we, are we getting better with these charging points? Well, I think if we're talking about Australia, I'd say probably probably not fast enough by any means, and that will limit yeah. the adoption of EVs the way it's currently going. But the um, I was over in London earlier this year, and I, I was seeing um, cables coming out of lampposts in the center of London being used to charge uh, to be charged electric BMWs. Um, and, and so it's far, far more advanced over in Europe compared to Australia or the US. So are you, are you broadly happy with the 
the success, the progress you're making as a business as you advance this technology? Absolutely. What we said in our uh, IPO um, prospectus a year, just over a year ago now, um, we're on track for that. So, so I'm very happy with that so far. So I mentioned in my um, introduction, you've got an ongoing partnership with Deakin University, including two on-campus facilities, which is a phase two and a phase three facility. Um, can you explain a little bit more in detail about what's going on there? Fair enough. Uh, we we tried to find easy ways to to explain our progress with phase one, phase two, and phase three because um, it is quite can be quite complicated. But but in simple a simple sense, phase one was when we uh, effectively started developing the technology. You're working in a chemistry lab, an electrochemistry lab, you're working in glove boxes and you're building cells by hand to test the materials and the and whether they work or not. Um, and that's phase one. But in order to scale that technology, once you've got that established, you need to be able to produce larger, higher quality cells at predictable um, reliability uh, and a predictable way. And so that's what we call our phase two facility. It's essentially a micro production line. Mm-hmm. Um, and it includes a roll to roll cathode coders to coat the, the material onto the onto the uh, cathodes. It includes uh, automated um, what we call pouch cell Z stacking machines, which allows us to build those um, pouches up without having a human hand need to touch it. Um, and that all increases the quality and reliability of the of the test cells we're producing. And we're very pleased that we've now commissioned our phase two facility at Deakin University across five dedicated laboratories. What we're doing at the same time, though, is we're building what we call our phase three facility. And this is when you take a, a high quality cell that you've proven and, and work out how to uh, how to manufacture it in volume, because our partners are looking for after they've tested a few cells, they want to test thousands of cells in a, in a mm. full device. So if you've got an e-aircraft, e- for example, you'll need 10,000 cells of matched quality in order for that aircraft to get off the runway. So so our phase three facility is designed to do that. We're in the middle of, of building that, that big dry room for the manufacturing plant at Deakin University, at the Deakin University campus. Um, in a specialized facility, um, buying the the relative equipment and also building the unique robotic and automated bespoke equipment we need for certain aspects of that that manufacturing process. So phase one is pure research. Phase two is scaling that to be able to produce high quality, reliable cells uh, at a larger scale, suitable for testing for commercial partners. And phase three is then manufacturing those cells at a volume to allow us to trial full commercial operations in in big products like an electric aircraft. And what's phase four? Battery world. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, yes. So Mm. phase four and phase five, if you want to think of those things, and I I certainly haven't talked about those at any length, but phase four is is as as we've proven the viability of the cells within, for example, aircraft, cars, other um, drones and the like, and we've proved the demand, then phase four is about working with battery manufacturers to to scale that up from, say, a two megawatt hour to, say, 200 megawatt hour, as what we call a full, full-scale pilot before you go to a gigafactory scale. 
which is phase five. So you've mentioned their aviation. Uh, I noticed you've signed some exciting agreements with uh, a leading e-aviation company in the United States, which in turn has a partnership with NASA. So I'm, I'm keen to hear more about that and also an e-truck manufacturer here in Australia. So let's get into the details of, of those agreements. What, what's the significance of those? Um, well, significance is actually really huge for us. Uh, we've, we've obviously had a lot of approaches from a lot of companies around the world to want to partner with us and use our batteries. And we've been very careful to select those partners that we believe uh, will help us to um, help us to really understand each of those market sectors and work with us as we develop the cells to suit their particular market needs. Uh, in e-aviation, we've partnered with Magnix. Uh, Magnix is, is probably the leading uh, electric aviation propulsion company in the world. They're a remarkable company. I think, uh, you know, over a decade ago, they were actually um, started in Australia, but then moved to the US. Um, and they've already built electric uh, aircraft such as the e-beaver the e-caravan and most recently in a robinson r44 helicopter that's electric so when it comes to their agreement with nasa nasa has a as a uh, tremendously ambitious program to make uh, electric aviation a normal part of passenger air transport within the continental us by 2035 and to do that you need large passenger aircraft to be powered by batteries. And that's what um, that's what Magnix is creating with NASA, an electric Dash 7 aircraft, fully battery powered, and um, they're going to be trialing our batteries as part of that program. So, so it is a very, very exciting part of, of the future of aviation. It's very exciting for us, more so because the key differentiation of lithium sulfur is what makes it so special for this. Um, every kilogram of, of battery weight you can lose is an extra kilogram of passenger you can carry or uh, an extra kilometer of range you can add. Uh, and so as a result, our technology could make the difference between electric aviation being successful and, and never taking off, uh, to coin a phrase. And the, um, the e-truck deal? Yeah, well, that's the other end of the spectrum. And I have to say that we, we partnered with a local Australian company for this called Janus Electric. They're doing retrofits on existing diesel trucks, basically pulling out the um, the diesel motors, engines, and, and yeah. popping back in an electric. Does it work? Yes, it does. And it works really, really well. I'm so impressed that a local Australian company has come up with a technology that not only allows you to to save on the cost of scrapping an, an existing truck to get an electric one but also they have what they call a, a hot swappable battery so instead of having to wait to charge your battery halfway through your uh, your uh, delivery run or whatever you just swap it out it takes three minutes and these are three ton batteries each mm. um so so it is an extraordinarily practical solution um to what is a, a global problem we're really delighted to be working with them because Again, we can extend the range of their trucks between having to swap the, the batteries or reduce the weight of the batteries themselves, giving the truck more payload that they can carry. I like so it's it. a very exciting uh, time for us in that one. 
And again, without giving away too many sensitive details, I presume you're working on some other commercial agreements. Have you have you got anything else in the pipeline? Well, um, nothing that I can talk about. I, I would say that we've uh, signed a, a number of NDAs with major global companies across the um, electric vehicle, aviation and drone sector, which are our particular um, target markets. Um, and so it looks like it's going to be a very, very exciting 2023 as, as we push our technology forward to test cells that we can deliver to these companies. It, it's something that uh, uh, it's just so exciting to, to actually see this come about. And we get so many inquiries from all over the world, uh, literally coming into our into our website. Into your inbox. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So you are doing business all over the world. You're broadening your research in in Europe and obviously across Australia. Tell us about the research you're doing. Yeah, well, most of the research we're doing is is with two significant teams at Deakin University um, at the Institute of Frontier Materials. Um, and I have to say Deakin is probably one of the most advanced battery chemistry and nanomaterial research organizations in the country. Um, so it's been very good to, to develop our core technology with them. But what we've realized is that for a, a number of other unique um, capabilities, we have to go farther afield. First of all, to the University of Queensland, they're working on a project with us for recycling lithium sulfur batteries. And initial findings there show that it's easier and cheaper to recycle a lithium sulfur battery compared to a lithium ion battery. And then beyond that, uh, we're working with uh, the Fraunhofer Institution over in Dresden in Germany. And they've, they've got great specialization in, in laser and beam technology and also in, in coating processes for, for, for battery chemistries. So we're working with them both on the production of, of anodes, um, lithium foil anodes, and, and also the coating of some of our nanomaterials onto the various substrates that we use. Well, to finish off, so you're back into it now for 2023. I imagine you're set for a for a big year. What are you looking forward to mostly for the year ahead? In some respects, I'm looking forward to Christmas, but the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the it's going to be a busy year. There's no doubt about it. But I think um, a couple of things really. I, I, I'm really looking forward to bringing on more uh, commercial partners um, to help drive that that scale and that interest as we as we're producing our, our results more effectively. I'm also looking forward to, to walking through the the airlock doors of our our new dry room for our phase three facility and, and seeing those first phase three test cells coming off of our production line. Um, I think that will be a, a uniquely special uh, moment for us in our history. Well, Dr. Lee Finier, CEO of LIS Energy, thank you very much for your time today and all the very best for the year ahead. Thank you. Thank you very much.